Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hi, I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. So glad to have you with us. Uh, and today, or this actually, as I'm recording, it's evening. Um, I have brought back Pastor Wyndon Petty from uh, Grace Living Fellowship, and I have uh, brought him back because he has a story to share, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you guys about your water. Yep. Do you guys know that there's all kinds of things that get in our water? Uh, let's see here. Um, how about uh, drugs that people take? How about, you know, the pills that sometimes, you know, people take, but they don't really get absorbed in the system. So they get uh, sent into our water, fluoride, all kinds of metals, all kinds of pesticides. It's one gigantic toxic soup. Do you really want that going into your kids' bodies? Or do you need to be drinking that yourself? No, I didn't think so. Go to www.fixmywater.co and you can sign up to get a free water quality report and someone will contact you about how you can uh, fix up your water so that you have better, clean, healthier water. That's fixmywater.co. And now on with the content. Wendon, welcome to Unresolved. Hey, thank you for having me back. Well, couldn't get rid of that easily. <laughs> I'm I'm like a bad penny. I just keep turning up. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> now nah, we love you here. Um, Wendon, you know, it's so funny. So uh, Mike, Wendon and I will get together and, you know, uh, we'll be talking about things church related or other things related. And before we know it, two or three hours have passed by. It always happens. Never fails. Never. Never fails, <laughs> you know. It's like, uh, uh, my, you know, we we did it uh, before going live on the mic. It's like, well, if we don't do this interview, it ain't going to get done. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we were supposed to do it two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, I'm I'm really glad to have you here, and you. I really brought you back because I wanted to hear your story of how you came to know the Lord because you apparently, I know a little tidbits of your story, but I really think that the audience would get a lot out of uh, kind of your background and what God did in your life. At Grace Living Fellowship, we talk a lot about walking in grace. And I think a lot of people take what they think they know about me. And they just assume that I don't really understand what that means. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Um, if I were to say that I had a story of uh, sexual abuse, um, addiction, alcoholism, and um, suicide, I mean, most people would just absolutely bat their eyes and say, no, there's no way. But that's actually the truth. That is my life story. Um, and I, I actually wrote about that in a book uh, that's, well, it's available on Amazon.com uh, called The Benefit Package. And uh, we, we can talk about where they can find that later. But it's true. I, I did grow up in a pastor's home. But just because I grew up in a pastor's home doesn't mean that my life was a bed full of roses. And, uh, you know, even 
even pastor's kids, I mean, you know, you, you, you know, they, what they say about pastor's kids, right? Um, I was far from the perfect child. And um, even though I went down to an altar at a very early age, I don't think I really understood what it meant for me to ask the Lord into my heart. Like most teenagers, I drifted away from the Lord and began smoking and drinking in high school. And before I was even 21, I was addicted to alcohol um, and was seriously an alcoholic. I mean, I, I couldn't go through the day without drinking large quantities of alcohol. Um, but let's back up just a little bit um, to when I was much younger. Uh, when I was about seven or eight, uh, like most kids in the early 70s, I was allowed to wander pretty much unsupervised um, throughout my neighborhood. And I wandered further than most probably did. Um, I was a very brave and adventurous child, I guess, and uh, was soon out of my neighborhood and into some pretty unfamiliar territory. And I came across uh, a group of young teenage boys. I, I don't know. They might have been 12 to 13, 14 years old. Uh, they were all underneath a bridge or overpass. And I was curious to know what they were doing. They were gathered around um, looking at some material. And uh, I approached them and, of course, very quickly was introduced to uh, pornography. And uh, unfortunately, that same day, I was also sexually molested. I was I was sexually abused there underneath that bridge by those teenage boys. And how old were and you when that happened? I was about seven or eight, uh, still fairly young. And uh, and that really radically changed my life and how I how I viewed myself uh, really utterly destroyed my self-esteem, which, you know, when you look back on things uh, as an adult, you can kind of start putting pieces together and you start to see how uh, one thing leads to another and connecting the dots. And I can see how that that lowered self-esteem led to my addictions to alcohol and cigarettes in my teen years. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and yeah. <laughs> and how many and let, let me ask you this, uh, just so we have a. Uh, uh, how many boys were there at the time and and did they all participate? They, they all participated. Um, I was I, um, I was pretty severely hurt. Uh, and I would, of course, memory at this age uh, doesn't serve me very well, but. Uh, my memory, my memory was at least a four or five, <clears throat> five boys at that time. Um, yeah. And uh, it, I remember, I remember the pain uh, in my body. I remember, uh, I, I think probably, what probably hurt more than anything was the laughter, um, just the, the laughter and the, the jaunts, the, uh, vulgarities that were thrown at me, uh, and I was helpless. You know, I was a helpless child. I wasn't able to. You were, do anything yeah. About I mean, you're you're a kid. You didn't know what was going on, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, of course, then because I was outside of my neighborhood, uh, I didn't know 
how to get home when it was done. And of course, by the time I did find my way home, limping and bleeding, uh, coming into the house late at night or not late at night, but you know, it was after the sun had gone down and, and my mother being very worried and concerned. And of course I very embarrassed, didn't want to talk to her about it and things of that sort. And, uh, but just utterly being destroyed by that emotionally, physically, some of that has long-term effects, you know, that it can have on a body and, and, uh, uh on a soul, uh, on, a you know, emotions. And then the pain that becoming so great that you block it out, you block it out and you, you don't, you don't deal with it for years. Uh, and it wasn't until much later that I actually really began to deal with it when I was already an adult and married. Um, and we'll, we, you know, we can talk about that uh, when that time comes up, but it was, it was such an eye opening and floodgate opening moment <laughs> when that actually happened in my life. But uh, at that moment, I just remember shutting it down. Um, and I remember my father and I were talking about it years and years later. And um, he was saying, you know, he said, I looked at your school year pictures you know how that you know when you're a child they take you every year and they have pictures taken of you he he said you could see that up to this point you know you were a young smiling happy pretty good looking kid and then he says after this year he said something happened to you he said you could tell because you suddenly no longer smiled in your pictures you were sad and and you began to put on weight and you began to withdraw and you just kind of got further and further away you know it was just it became so physically obvious as well as emotionally obvious and, and uh, you know, things like that is, it's just amazing how. That really intrigues me because um, you know, how many people might be listening and maybe they've had an experience like that, whether it be um, sexual abuse, violence. I mean, um, I can relate to the effects of it in the sense of, when you go through a trauma like that and you shut it down, you're not able to adequately deal with that until really God opens up that wound and says, let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is, it, and it's just like opening up a wound. It is very painful. Yep, It's a painful process to go through, but you're right. It's so necessary for that healing process to begin. <clears throat> but it was, it was one of those things where I, couldn't deal with it mm. until until much later in my life. Um, but it led to so many things. Uh, like I said, addictions to alcohol, to cigarettes. Uh, and when I got did out you of realize, the, Did you realize that the addictions were related to that, that incident? Not at the time, because like I said, I shut it down. I shut it down to the point where I couldn't even remember it. I mean, I could not remember it for the longest time. Uh yeah, memory just completely blocked it out of my mind. And um, I just was just being rebellious, you know, just rebelling against everything. Just didn't want to, I didn't want to respond uh, emotionally or spiritually or anything. You know, I mean, I just, I just really, like I said, withdrew. I withdrew from everything and everybody. And it's kind of funny <laughs> when I say that because... I, I was I was still looking for structure in my life, even though I was rebelling against every form of structure I'd ever had. Um, I didn't want to be in the church, even though I grew up in the church. 
Um, I didn't want to be in my home, even though I grew up with a very loving family and very wonderful parents. Um, but I still wanted structure. So I joined the military, which is just the most bizarre thing in the world I can think of, but it's still what I did. And of course, uh, I went off into the military. And of course, the minute I got out from underneath mom and dad and I got out from underneath the church, I, I mean, I went whole hog. I mean, I went full force into everything that I could think of. You know, God had called me into ministry when I was a young child and I was running just as full and as far as I could, just like Jonah, you know, I mean, I was running as hard as I could away from what God wanted me uh, to do. And I got deep into pornography. I got deep into sexual addictions. I mean, I was just all over the, the board and um, living the life that I thought is what I wanted, you know, just absolute rebellion, just not going to church, not doing any of that kind of stuff. And then finally getting to a place where my life was in such a mess. How long were you in the military? I was in the military from 1987 to 1990. It was in early 1990. I had just spent the Christmas season not attached to the boat. I was in the Navy and I was not attached to the boat for that Christmas season. I had actually been temporarily assigned to the base. So I spent the Christmas season, literally spent the entire time at the uh, local clubs where where there was a lot of debauchery, a lot of drinking. I mean, I spent like the entire time there. So that entire time was just spent in a, in a dull haze. You know, the week that my boat was returning and I knew I was going to go back onto it, I just suddenly had this fear grip my heart and I just became terrified and I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. I went to the doctor's. And they kept telling me, oh, you know, you're a big boy. You can handle it. Just shake it off. And I went to the uh, chaplain and I, I I told him what I had been doing and, and you know, told him everything that I, I basically like confessed. I was just pouring my heart out. And he said the same thing. He said, oh, you're just a big boy. You can handle it. Just shake it off. I went to the psychologist and I told him the same thing. And again, he told me. You're a big boy, shake it off. Well, I go back to my my barracks, to my room, and I was a non-commissioned officer at this time. And so I, I I wasn't in like a barracks like with all the other lowly sailors. I had kind of a special uh setup, you know, because I was a non-commissioned officer. We were a little higher, higher up. So what rank were you? A radium in third class. So I was you know, a little bit uh higher up than, like I said, just the lowly sailors. And I just, so it was just me and one roommate uh, was what we had in our room. And uh, so I was literally there in the room by myself because my roommate had been out to sea. And um, so I'm sitting there, I'm literally surrounded by every kind of alcohol that you could think of Um, bottles of Jim Beam cans of every kind of beer, uh, vodka, you know, I mean, all the accoutrements. I mean, I was surrounded by it. I had probably smoked, oh, three and a half packs of cigarettes, you know, just because I was in just such a, yeah, I was in such a state with this fear in my heart. And I, I blacked out. Okay. 
my roommate comes into the room after the boat has docked and he opens the door and he finds me. And, and through this dull haze that I've been in this whole Christmas season, he sees me and he immediately starts calling out. He starts screaming and some of the other shipmates come running into the room and they find me and I'm sitting in a pool of my own blood. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I didn't even know how I got that way until I looked down and I saw a piece of metal sticking out of my wrist. I had, I had taken an exacto knife and I had plunged it into my wrist and I didn't even know that I had done it. And so they, they carried, they carried me down to the lobby. They had the, the lobby security guard call uh, for the ambulance to come. They took me to the hospital, of course, you know? And so I, I literally, <laughs> I spent the next two and a half months in the middle hospital recovering from having had a complete and total mental breakdown because I had been in denial and been running from God and, and just living in this state of fear and sin and self-doubt and mistrust. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, that's where my life was at that moment. But, you know, I'm so glad that my story doesn't stop there, Teresa. This is where this is where the walking in grace comes in. And this is why I talk about walking in grace so much as I'm, I'm lying there. And this is February the 14th. And this is why this date is so important. And this is why I love the month of February. Uh, and we've got February uh, month of love coming up at the church. And, and I was laying there in that hospital bed. My, my, my wrists were, were bound to the bed rails because I was considered a danger to myself and others. And I was looking up at that ugly pockmarked ceiling that they have, you know, <laughs> in hospitals and just crying. You know, my tears are soaking the pillows because I'm just completely unable to control my emotions now. And a Baptist chaplain from the hospital, he comes in and he sits on the foot of the bed. Now, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know that I was raised in church. He doesn't know that I had grown up listening to the Bible, listening to the, the gospel story, having played the part of Jesus in Easter plays. And, you know, <laughs> he, he doesn't know any of that. He just sits down there at the foot of the bed. And he just begins to tell me this simple story about a man named Jesus who loves me very much. And I'm sitting there, tears just rolling down my face. And I remember saying to heaven, or at least to those pockmarked ceiling panels, God, I've done too much. I've done too many things to be allowed to live. I'm not worthy to live. Just let me die. I mean, that's where I was at. That's, that's where I was living in my head. You know, I had committed too many sins. I had, I had done too many things, things that I haven't even recounted here on this podcast, because if I told you these things, I, I'm afraid some of your listeners would probably turn off immediately and go, oh my God, that's too much to hear. But that's where I was at. I was going, God, I've done too much. You don't know, God, how many things I've done. You don't. And God was like, 
but I do know. And, and Teresa, I'm not lying to you. And I will say this until the day I die with my hand on a stack of Bibles. I was laying there in that hospital bed and I saw the form of a man step into that hospital room and stand at the foot of that bed. And he stretched out his hands and I saw in his wrists the exact same cuts, the exact same wounds that I had in my wrists that I had made with that exacto knife. And he held them out to me and he said, I've already died, so you don't have to. And I looked at that and I said, Jesus, because I knew that's who it was. <laughs> I said, Jesus. And I said this out loud because the Baptist chaplain, he heard me. I said, Jesus, I said, if you will get me out of this hospital bed, I will live for you and I'll never turn back. And this year marks, was it 31 years ago that I made that statement on February the 14th? And you know, I have never regretted it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I've never failed in that 31 years. But for 31 years, I have been walking in the grace that he showed me at the foot of that bed. And I am continuing to walk in it, knowing that the sins that I have committed have been forgiven and covered by his blood. And the sins that were committed against me from when I was a child, even to this very day, have been forgiven and have been covered by his blood. And that I am now a child of his grace. That is what I mean when I say to everybody, walk in grace. And this is why we say grace living fellowship. We're a fellowship together, living together in his grace. I've heard a lot of stories on this platform. Um. And this is one of those ones that kind of leaves me speechless because I know a little bit, but the amount of, of uh, the depth of God's grace is so incredible. Your story is very timely to me uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, because like you, um, I've done things, I've rebelled, I've walked away, uh, things that to this day, if I were to describe them, uh, people will go, you cannot be serious. You actually did that. And I would have to say, yeah, I did. You know, to this day, the enemy likes to use that as a weapon against me. <laughs> you know, and I have to go, wait a minute. Hold on, buddy. That's under the blood. Back, back off. You know, so I believe your story is very timely. And in the sense of... um there's a lot of people who are either in that place that you were at where they just, they just, I mean, especially with COVID and everything else, suicide rates are up. They're done. They want to end life. They're done. And they don't know about the grace that we're talking about. Yeah. Cause the, the fear is just overwhelming. The fear is overwhelming because they don't, they don't have a place to go to. You know, I, I was so far from home spiritually as well as physically I, I you know even though i didn't run away from home as far as like you know like a runaway child i did run away because i was wanting to get away from what i felt were 
oppressive rules and regulations. And even though, like I said, my parents were the most loving people that I could ever imagine, but I felt like I needed to rebel. I needed to get out and do my own thing. And so I ran and, and I felt like I couldn't go home. So I had no place to go. And so I was afraid. I was in a place where I was all by myself and I was afraid. And, you know, there's people out there, you're right, that right now they're, they're going, I'm afraid and I have no place to go. I have no one to turn to. I have nowhere to, to, to find solace and, and companionship or, or, or even anybody that I can even just bear to share my burdens with. And I, you know, and, and you have to kind of go, well, isn't that the plan all along of the evil one to isolate, to make people feel like there is no hope? Yeah, because that's, you know, the Bible says that he's he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you've ever watched a nature documentary, you know, that's exactly what a lion does. A lion tries to separate the weakest from the herd and get them off by themselves. And that's when they that's when they go in for the kill. And then all of a sudden that yeah, creature nobody for them to protect them. becomes a lynch. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So walk me through what happened after the Lord appeared to you and you gave your life to him. Well, you know, that's that's the funny thing. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus comes, the Lord comes with healing in his hands. And it was so interesting that the Lord showed me his hands. Because what I needed at that moment was not only salvation. I needed to truly accept the Lord as my Savior and Lord, but I also needed his healing. And it was as if from that moment. Now, remember, I told you that at that moment, I was still strapped to the bed because I was considered a danger to myself and others. And the way the mental hospital worked was that you had to earn your right to be able to get up out of the bed to be able to go out into the common areas to be able to eat your food in the cafeteria i mean these were these were things you had to earn by showing and demonstrating that you could maintain control emotionally and that you could behave properly and almost immediately i found myself able to get myself under control i was able to you know focus myself enough to be able to comply with the rules and and do what was expected of me so that my my turnaround from that moment from February the 14th to my discharge now remember I had been in here for a couple of months in this state of being strapped to the bed because I was literally out of my mind from February the 14th to my discharge at the end of March I was able to go from being completely incapacitated to having full access, complete autonomy as far as going where I wanted to go, being allowed to go to physical and occupational therapy, um, to be able to have smoke breaks because I was still addicted to cigarettes. You know, God broke me of a lot of things, but I still had the problem with cigarettes. Um, but I was able to go to the cafeteria to eat my food, you know, all of those things. I mean, it happened so quickly because God brought healing in his hands. I mean, he, he touched me. I mean, that song from Bill and Gloria Gaither just really means so much to me. You know, when I, he touched me and now I know, you know, I know he touched me on that day and brought healing to me. And made a difference in my life. So how, 
how many days would you say it took for that turnaround to take place? I mean, was it like a month, would you say? A, a little over a month. Um, I think the actual, as far as the actual turnaround was concerned, probably exactly three weeks to actually have a, a full turnaround as far as to where you could see that, you know, that something had happened, that there was a true transformation, but then there was the, the next three weeks I had to complete the program. I had to complete the process kind of thing um, to, to fulfill the expectations or the obligations that were put on. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that within three to four weeks uh, there was a definite and distinct uh, evidence that something had changed. Something had happened that made a, a huge difference um, from where I had been when I had first been admitted like I said, given full access to where it was like I was allowed to do whatever I wanted to do within the compound, was even allowed to leave the compound um, on day trips kind of thing, you know, um, with the groups. And I mean, it was a huge, a huge change, a huge difference. And, you know, so I, several things, you know, that come out of this story is number one, I, I know God's amazing grace and number two, I know God's incredible healing power. And number three, uh, I, I know that God's indomitable faithfulness. God is faithful. And despite, <laughs> despite the fact that I ran from him, despite the fact that I was doing everything I could to rebel against him, he never left me. And I think about that passage of scripture that Paul says, you know, he says, this is a faithful saying that even when we are faithless, yet he remains faithful. You know, he is, he is so faithful. Wow. And the verse that's coming to mind for me is where our Lord says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Yeah. Never leave you, nor forsake you. David said, if, even if I make my bed in Sheol, making my bed in hell, thou art with me. You know, and I definitely had made my bed <laughs> in the very depths of hell, because uh, if I tell you what I served on, I served on board a submarine. You know, I mean, how much more like Jonah can you actually get? Right. I mean, literally going down to the depths of the sea, <laughs> you know. Now, were you still when 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 you went into the mental hospital, were you still in the Navy or were you discharged? No, no, no. I was still in the military. I was actually still in the military, uh, had had that mental breakdown while in service. Um, but this, this will also show you God's goodness um, that uh, although, you know, I had been uh, what we used to call a 4-0 sailor, uh, that meant I was, had been an exceptional sailor up to that point. So they had no reason to give me a dishonorable discharge. Uh, but they could have given me a, 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 a medical discharge, but because of my exemplary service, they actually gave me an honorable discharge um, for medical reasons, which meant that, um, you know, my, my medical uh, history did not affect my, uh, my honorable discharge. So I was actually given an honorable discharge, which, you know, again, that's God just watching out for me. So... <laughs> Yeah, that was God. God just being, being so fantastic. <laughs> so let me ask you this: You get uh, radically changed. 
you complete the mental program that you're involved in. And where, where do you go from there? Um, I, I came home. Uh, I came home to my parents, which, of course, you know, my mother, uh, who, who always loved me very much, uh, just, you know, I think, I think it broke her heart to see what I had had to go through, what I had been through, um, because, again, it left an indelible mark on me. You know, it had changed me. My father, of course, um, I think he saw it, but he tried to be brave <laughs> for my mom's sake because uh, mother was already an emotional wreck. Uh, but, you know, they neither one of them said anything about it. They never said, you know, that they were disappointed in me. They never said that they were discouraged because of what I had done. They never judged me. They never uh, pointed any fingers at me. It was just welcome home, son. You know, and almost living out the prodigal son narrative. Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. It was, it was, it was just welcome home. And my father and I, and, and pl please understand, I love my dad. I love my dad very much, and we have a wonderful relationship now. Um, but we hadn't always, you know, going back to those teen years. You know, he and I, we probably clashed more often than than not. And it was very wonderful many years ago now, but uh, many years after this, uh, after I was married and had children of my own, we were sitting at the Thanksgiving table and uh, I, I broke down and I, I began to cry. And I, I told my dad, I said, dad, I just need to apologize that I wasn't always the son that you wanted me to be, you know, because I knew that I must have been a disappointment to him. And I looked up and there's my dad, tears streaming down his face. And he just, he says, no, son. He says, I need to apologize to you. And he begins to pour out his heart to me about how that he felt so many times like he had let me down. And we just, both of us sat there crying and holding each other in our arms, you know, and just forgiving one another and loving each other and, and finding, you know, new relationship and new, uh, new bonds of, of father and son that had been missing for so long in our life. But, you know, it, it was exactly what it should have been all those years ago. And it was exactly what I think God has always been, you know, that father that says, son, just come home, just come home and, and be my son again, be, be part of the family again. And I, I feel like that's exactly what God is saying to every person. If you're out there and you're lost and you're confused and you're, you're living in, in a, in a terrifying and a fearful situation, he's just saying, child, come home, just come home to me, come back to relationship with me and be my child and, and accept the grace that I have for you. And, and let me be your father like I've always wanted to be. And I, I really do hope uh, that somebody out there listening today is, is hearing this. And I hope that they are receiving this message of hope and grace that they can just, they can come home to father. They can come home to God and, and receive that grace. You know, I absolutely agree. Um, I do want to touch on one thing, and I want to find out how you uh, 
overcame that because the sexual abuse incident impacted you so thoroughly. How did you actually find healing in that? Or how did that come about? That was an actually an interesting um, scenario. I was pastoring a church in Texas and um, my wife and I, uh, my first wife who uh, passed away from cancer several years ago, she and I were wanting to have a family. We had been trying for many years and had not been able to have any. Um, and so we decided we would adopt. And so we were going through the Texas program for foster and adoption. And because I was the pastor of a church, I had volunteered our facilities for the foster and adoption classes to be held in our fellowship hall. So we were attending this, the classes and having everybody come to the church. And we were having a class on how to recognize and identify sexual abuse in a foster child that has been placed in your home. And the lady who was giving the lecture that day began to list 10 things. She said, if you see any of these 10, she said, any of these 10 things, she said, you might have a child who's been sexually abused. She said, and of course, the more things you see, the, the higher the possibility is that you have a sexually abused child. And she said, if you have seven, you definitely have a child who has been sexually abused in some way. And she went through this list of 10 things and she got to the end of it. And I jumped up out of the chair and I ran to my office. My wife gets up and she follows me and I am in my office and I am just crying. I'm crying like a newborn baby. I mean, I'm just wailing like you could hear me through the sanctuary. I'm just wailing. And my wife comes in and she's like, honey, what's the matter? What's going on? And I said, honey, I said, I had nine, nine of those signs in my life. And she said, what? I said, yes, nine of those signs that she read off of that list of 10 signs of a sexually abused child. I had nine of them. And yeah. <laughs> and so we began to, to try to piece together pieces. And, you know, this is when we were talking about, you know, seeing the pictures and saying, okay, something happened, this changed. And um, I did go to see a therapist. And this, this is why I tell people, don't, don't be afraid to go see a therapist. If you, if you have a, if you have a need to go see a therapist, go see a therapist. I mean, if you'll go see a doctor, for a headache or for an ingrown toenail, please go see it's a therapist. Crucial. If you have, yeah. yeah, if you have a, a reason, a mental reason, an emotional reason, please go see one. I and um, I and let me just take a moment to uh, 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 agree with that wholeheartedly, um, because I've actually walked through and I've had to. Uh, it was because of therapy that I found healing from so many of my. Issues and I, I mean, I could, I could list them here, but that, that I absolutely 100% agree. And you need to find the right one, someone that understands both the mental issues, but also the spiritual issues and the As I say, and the spiritual. Be, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And a the good, bondages. A good that Christian can, yep. therapist would is is ideal. Yep. Yes, I definitely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, with that, uh, Wendon, please. Uh, yeah. So I Actually, went, let me I went ask to go you, see a therapist. Let me ask you yeah, one, sure. yeah. Let me ask you one thing. What were some of the signs for someone who might be listening? Um, you know, well, what, what were the signs? 
Well, there was, you know, obviously the things like low self-esteem, being afraid to to uh, to disappoint other people, uh, or or being socially aggressive because you know you ha- you have to be liked, and so you're socially aggressive. You 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 have to dominate over other people and force them to like you. Uh, which I had actually experienced both of those. There were others that I mean involved sexually playing out with other children, uh, which is something that did happen to me as a child. That because I had been sexually abused by those boys, that I turned to sexual play with other children in my uh, neighborhood, and uh, which is you know that's one of those things I was like I didn't really want to <laughs> didn't really want to say anything because I thought you know some people might like whoa that's like but that that happens. Well, and this is why we have unresolved. We answer, we deal with those tough topics. So I'm very glad that you you mentioned that. Um, so, so wow. Um, and so you go, you you recognize the signs. You go to a therapist. And and I mean it. It was it was a, a period of of walking through, trying to fill in gaps of of, and literally there was a period of about two years. My eighth and ninth year where I, I couldn't even remember what school that I went to. I mean, I literally couldn't. Um, it's like, what school did you go to? I was like, I, I don't remember. Who were your teachers? I don't know who, who was in your class. I can't remember. I had blocked out those two years. So we knew something had happened in those two years. That's why I can't give you the exact year, how old I was. I was seven or eight, but I was somewhere in that time frame. Um, but we began to piece together that it happened during the summer, which would have meant, like I said, that I was out wandering around and just piecing together things. We began to figure out that it was definitely uh, a sexual abuse. And uh, we rem- I remembered how many, how many boys it was, like I said, about four or five and the location that it was, that it was at um, just because of some triggers that happened, uh, you know, showing flashcards of different locations, um, not necessarily associated with that particular spot, but just general general visualization flashcards. And it's like I would I saw a picture of a of a bridge of an overpass, and it was just like my body just freeze froze up, and it was like you know okay, so you know, um, and we were able to piece together things. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty uh, it was a stressful stressful process to go through it, but I'm glad that it did because. It, it did answer a lot of questions. And, I, and one of the, one of the things that she, she asked me, and I remember her asking me this, she said, do you want to know who it was that did this? Like, like their names. And I, you know, I was, I was in my early, no, I was in my late twenties. I think at this time I was in my 28, 29. And I said, no, I said, because at this point, what, what could I do about it? The damage that they did to my life has already been done. I can't go back and fix the childhood that they ruined. I can't go back and undo the addictions that that were brought about because of what they did in my life. I said, all I can do is take today and move forward and try to heal. And I remember her sitting there in that room and just like her eyes just lit up and she was like, that is probably the first time I've ever heard that answer. She said, and it's probably the best answer that I've ever heard 
Because, you know, we can't go back and change the past. We can't go back and fix the outcomes of those things of the past. All we can do is take today and begin today to move forward in healing. And I'm so grateful that the past, like I said before, the past is under the blood. But I can take today and I can begin to move forward in that grace and in that healing and in that perfect love that God has poured out for me. And whoever those boys are, they may even be listening today. Who knows? I hope that they find that grace. I hope that they find that love. I hope they find that forgiveness that God has waiting for them. Because I would, I, you know, I have forgiven them because that's under the blood. It's all taken care of. My life has turned out the way it has turned out because of what they did. But it will be what it is and what it will become because of who God is and what God is going to do. And that's the difference. I'm reminded, and I think this is where I kind of want to wrap up here. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph, you know, Um, and your story is a lot like that. You know, you were uh, betrayed and broken and hurt. You know, mentally, spiritually, physically. But God, he had a plan for for, for it. And what did Joseph tell his brothers, right? You know, you meant this for evil. But God God meant it for good. Yeah. 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 And I love those two words, but God, but God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I mean, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here and, and running through memories of things that happened to me and and. And I'm sure every other listener is doing the same thing. And they're sitting there going, I have these sore spots. You know, I mean, I'm doing okay, but I got these places that are, you know, and I just keep thinking, but God. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, with, with, with my audience. You're very welcome. If this story has helped you in any way, Would you please do me a favor and email me, Teresa at unresolved.life. And if you are in a place where you're looking for some healing, I would highly encourage you to check out the church that that Wendon has founded. It's called Grace Living Fellowship. It is a wonderful church. We are not in it for the groups. We're not in it for anything else. We just want to see people healed and whole. That's it. We want to see you walking in grace. Yeah. Amen. So if you want to go, if you want to check that out, you can find us on all the socials at Grace Living Online. And you can um, go to gracelivingfellowship.org and just reach out. Someone will get back to you. And, 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 and you know, Pastor, Winton. Now you know that he's not a guy that just talks about it. He's actually walked it. Yeah. And I I, I do want to reach out to anybody who, if you contact the church, uh, info at gracelivingfellowship.org or pastor at gracelivingfellowship.org, I will definitely get in touch with you. I want to reach out to you. I want to pray with you. I want to talk with you, fellowship with you. We just want to love you. We want to just love you. Uh, at, at our church, we have a little phrase. We say, loving you home. We want to just love you home. That's, 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 that's what it is. That's what we do. 
And just mentioned that you heard about Grace Lilling through the podcast, you know, just so we kind of know how you found us. But, uh, Wendon, thank you for so much again. Um, it's been a wonderful uh, time to just hear how God redeemed you. Amen. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I'll, I look forward to coming back anytime, anytime. Well, we'll be sure to have you back. I think you're going to be a, a, a regular guest around here. So, <laughs> well, guys, this is the Unresolved Life podcast. You know, we deal with a lot of rough topics and I get that. Maybe, maybe, maybe this one, maybe this one uh, uh, spoke to you. I get that. But God, you know, Isaiah uh, 1.6 says, Come, let us reason together. Though you sense be a scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. I especially love the first half of that verse. Come, let us reason together. I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.